here with you this morning. I want to thank Danny for his prayer. Thank Danny for his prayer and calling me young. In two months, I turn 30, so I don't know if that's the, the breaking point of when you turn old. We play basketball every Sunday night, and a couple weeks ago, I went up for a layup, and I drug a guy up with me, and he said, man, that's some old man strength right there. I was like, how old do you think I am? So thanks for that. I've really enjoyed the study that, that I've been putting together. It's, it's really taught me a lot, and I hope that as we study it together this morning that you'll see the symbolism in, in God and how God likes symbolism and how the symbolism between the Old Testament and the New Testament is there, and it's really important for us to understand. A quick list of names. Any idea what those names have in common? Take a quick look at those. And there's a couple names that aren't on here. These names are all the firstborns of their families. And so I want you to imagine that tonight God calls you and he says, tonight I'm taking your firstborn. You'd do anything. If God said, this is what you need to do, you'd do anything. You'd listen to him. You'd obey him. This happened a long time ago, 3,000 years ago. This happened. God called the firstborns. This happened. We're going to talk about the Passover lamb, and we're going to take our text from majority of Exodus chapter 12 and some of 11. So if you want to turn there, uh, you can refer to that. All of our verses are going to be up on the board, though. You probably have an idea of what the Passover is. You've, You've probably learned about that your entire life, but this morning I want to specifically study the Passover, and we're going to see how that relates to us as Christians this day and age. And I'm going to tell you, it's more than just a story in the Old Testament. It's the foundation of our Christianity. It's the foundation of our salvation. So it's so important that we understand what the Passover is and what it represents. Just a little background. The Israelites, they had been in captivity and slavery for 430 years. That's a long time. These people had known nothing but slavery. Their parents knew nothing but slavery. Their parents knew nothing but slavery. 430 years is a long time. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. That's all these people knew. That's all they grew up with was slavery, being in captivity to someone, having to answer to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. These people wanted out. They wanted to get out of Egypt, but Pharaoh continually would not let them go. And nine plagues had just occurred. God had sent nine different plagues to try and convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And you look at this list of these different plagues that had happened, water and blood, and and that's just, that's gross. You think about that happening, all these rivers just turning into blood and and diseased livestock. All of you wake up and all of your livestock are dead. Boils all over your body. God sends hail and fire. This last plague of darkness, it was dark for three days straight. You go outside and, and you can't see anything. And it's scary. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what God's doing. And a lot of these different plagues didn't affect the Israelites the way they did the Egyptians, but the Israelites still saw that happen and they were still, still fearful of that. The Egypt was scared because they had had all this happen to them. The Israelites were scared because they were in captivity. They didn't know if they were going to, to find a way out of that captivity They just wanted to go away from Egypt and have have a land of their own. They needed a safe safe way out of Egypt. 
So these nine plagues had just occurred and then God announces one more plague. And will this finally be what causes Pharaoh to let his people go? What finally lets the Israelites get out of Egypt? So God comes to Moses and he says, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like before, nor, like shall, be, nor shall be like it again. There wasn't ever gonna be a cry as bad as this. There's never been one before this. There's never going to be another one like it. So we've never heard any wailing. We've never heard any sadness like this before. It's gonna be a bad sight. It's gonna be a, a terrible sound. It's gonna be devastating. All those people who are going to die. Why was God doing this? What was God's purpose in this? Was it necessary for God to do this? Did he have to do this? Was this the only way that he could get the Israelites out of Egypt? No. He could have just opened up Pharaoh's heart. And you think about the second exodus happened, and a lot of times we don't realize that there was a second exodus, but we spent the last year or so on Sunday afternoons talking about the second exodus, where God's people were taken out of Jerusalem, they were taken to Babylon, held captive there for 70 years. We don't, we don't think about that. That doesn't strike us as, as a crazy thing that happened, like, like these plagues, because God just softened King Cyrus's heart. And Cyrus just let them go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It's not climactic. It's not a good story. It doesn't really symbolize anything. But when you think about the Passover, it does. And, and God's doing this. God's calling these firstborns for three reasons. He's gonna kill these firstborns for three reasons. The first one of these, he wants to get across to the Israelites and he wants to get across to the Egyptians that death is coming to everyone. You can't escape it. He said, Pharaoh, your son's gonna die. The, hand, the handmaiden, the, the, the lady who's working the mill, her firstborn's gonna die. It doesn't matter if you're privileged. It doesn't matter if you're poor. No matter who you are, death is coming. It doesn't matter if you're an Egyptian. It doesn't matter if you're an Israelite. It's gonna happen. And so the reason that God is calling the firstborn is because back in the ancient world, back in the Old Testament times, your firstborn was the, the foundation of your family. Whenever the, the patriarch of the family was, was going to die, he didn't divide up his wealth. Say he had three kids. He didn't give a third to one kid, a third kid to another kid, and a third to another kid. No, he kept it all together. He, when he died, he got all of his animals. He got all of his land. He got all of his houses. He put them all together and he gave them to the firstborn. Because an individual's success didn't matter back then. It was all about the family's success, how powerful your family was, what kind of name your family had. It was all about the, the family as a whole. And so when you had a firstborn, all of the success of your family, all the hope of your family, all the future of your, of your family relied in that firstborn. So that's why God is going after this firstborn. It was important to them. The hope of their families from here on relied in that firstborn. 
They represented the future of each individual, individual family. The second point that God was trying to get across to these Egyptians and to these Israelites is that everyone's guilty. No matter who you are, you're guilty. The Egyptians, you're guilty because you've kept my people. You've enslaved my people for 430 years. I've tried to get you to let them go, but you won't do it. So Pharaoh, you're guilty, but even the people like the handmaiden, you're guilty for allowing it to happen. And then the Israelites, you're guilty too. Why? Because I'm, I'm taking your firstborn too. So there's no one that's not guilty. Death is coming to all, everyone's guilty. But there's a way out. There's a way out. God gives them an option to find a way out. And he speaks with them about their judgment. He tells them, death is coming to all, you're all guilty, but I'm gonna give you a way out, a way of escape. Exodus chapter 12, verse three, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house, house of his father, a lamb for a household. The way out, you want a way out? It's through a lamb. You wanna keep your firstborn alive? You gotta take a lamb. On the 10th of, of the month, you've gotta take a lamb, an innocent animal, an animal that's, that's unblemished. He goes on in verse 12, he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy when I strike the land of Egypt. The way you're gonna find out of this, the way that your firstborn's not going to die is you're gonna paint that lamb's blood on the doorpost and I'm gonna see that. I'm gonna see that, I'm going to pass over you. I'm gonna pass over your house and your firstborn can live. And so for you who obey and you kill that lamb and you paint that, blood's, that lamb's blood on the doorpost, I'm gonna pass over you. You're gonna be safety. And, and it's, it's interesting to me that the, the way that you escape death is through the death of something else. Someone has to die tonight. That's what God said. It's either gonna be your firstborn or it's gonna be this innocent lamb. You get to decide, someone's gonna die. And so he says, you take that lamb. On the 10th day, you take that lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And so in 10 days, I want you to take a lamb. That lamb's gotta be perfect. It's gonna be, a fir it's gonna be in the first year of its life. So it's gonna be in the prime of its life. It's gonna be a healthy lamb. It's gonna be a spotless lamb. It's gonna be perfect no imperfections, no blemishes. It's the best of the best. And he says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day. So you take it on the 10th day and you keep it till the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And when you look up that word keep, when he says, now you shall keep it, that means to protect. That means to watch over it, to safeguard it to nourish it. And these people would take this lamb into their house. They'd care for it. They'd feed it. It'd become a part of their family. They'd watch it. They'd protect it. They didn't want anything to happen to their Passover lamb. I want you to nourish it for four days. I want you to become a part, it, it to become a part of your family. Then I want you to kill it. It's going to be hard to do that. I think about this, an animal, we used to volunteer at the, the Humane Society. 
And there were a couple times where we were able to, to foster a dog at the house. And, and we'd, we got to bring this great Pyrenees dog home one time and, and we'd play with it and we'd go to school and we would look forward to coming back home and it was there and we'd, we'd feed it and we got to know this dog. And then a couple days later, it got rehomed and it was gone. That dog that we had learned to, to love and play with and get to know and it was a part of our family, it was gone. And in a same, kind of the same way, that's what happened to the, these Israelites. They got to know this land. They got to see it, how, how perfect it was, how, how they cared for it and protected it. And then they had to kill it. This, this animal, they developed a relationship. They had to kill it. And so verse 11, and thus you shall eat it. After you've killed it, you're gonna eat it. You're gonna roast it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And so he says, I want you to roast it over a fire. I want you to get your, your belt on. I want you to get your shoes on. I want you to have your staff in your hand. I want you to be ready to go because you're getting out of Egypt. This isn't going to be an enjoyable meal. This is gonna be something that you're just shoveling in. You're trying to get out of here. That's what it represents is how the Lord's passing over you and you're getting out of Egypt and how God is going to provide that for you. And this entire thing from, from killing this lamb to cooking this lamb to eating this lamb to painting this blood had to be done by midnight. So you've got from twilight till midnight to get this done. So you're doing it quickly. You're not messing around. Verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of, this, out of the door of his house until morning. So this is when Moses explains to, or when God explains to Moses how he wants this done. And he gives them instructions of how this is going to happen, how they're going to, to paint this um, so that the, the destroyer, when he comes, will pass over these households. He says, I want you to take that lamb, that lamb that's perfect, no blemishes, it's spotless, it's in the prime of its life, it's the best of the best, and I want you to kill it. And when you kill it, you're going to let its blood drain into this basin. And that basin's gonna fill up. And then he says, I want you to take hyssop. And I don't know if you know what hyssop is, I didn't know what it was, but it's this plant. And hyssop in the Old Testament was used kind of like a paintbrush. It, it, it soaks up liquid like a sponge does, and you can use it as a paintbrush. And it's used repeatedly, when you look up that, that hyssop word, it's used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament as a purifier. Psalms 51.7, David writes, purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And so hyssop is used repeatedly as a purifier. And so in this case, in this Passover lamb, it's used as a purifier. I think it's interesting too, when you go to John chapter 19 and you look at, at Jesus as he's on the cross, just before he's going to die, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth. And so just like that, that Passover lamb was, was uh, pre prepared with hyssop, Jesus Christ was prepared with hyssop too. It was used in the preparation of Christ. And so you, you take this lamb, you kill this lamb, its blood is going to fill that basin up. You're gonna dip that hyssop, that paintbrush in that, in that blood, and you're gonna strike your doorpost with it. You're gonna paint it on the lintel, which is the top part of the door, and you're gonna pa paint it on the doorposts. That's going to be the sign. That's what I'm gonna use 
to see if I'm going to pass over your house or if I'm gonna come into your house and kill your firstborn. That's the symbol. I'm gonna know if you obeyed me, whether or not you do exactly what I said to do. And God likes symbolism, as I've, as I've already said. And you think about our lives, we like symbolism too. You think about marriage. I'm wedding, wearing a wedding ring right now. That symbolizes my marriage. And, and we have symbols throughout our houses and those each represent different things. And God's the same way. When you look through the Old Testament, there's symbols everywhere that represent what's, what's happening in the New Testament. And so God says, I want you to take this lamb. I want you to eat it. I want it to become a part of you. And physicality is deeply tied to memory. That's why we, why we wear a ring. Is physicality is a reminder to us. And, and in this same sacrifice, when God says, I want you to kill this lamb and that physically becomes a part of you, you take it into your body, it's gonna cause a memory so that when you do this year after year after year after year, you're going to remember how I passed over you. What do they do? Verse 28, and the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They believed they went, they did this, they prepared for the Passover. On the 10th day, they took this perfect, spotless, blameless lamb in the prime of its life. They took it into their house for four days and on that 14th day, they killed that lamb. They let that, that lamb's blood drain into that basin. They ate that lamb. They roasted it over fire. They ate that lamb. They took it into their body. They painted that blood on the doorpost, on the lintel. And then it happens. Verse 29, and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were in prison, in a dungeon, with no way to sacrifice a lamb, it didn't matter. If you didn't have that blood painted on your doorpost, if you didn't partake in that Passover lamb, your firstborn was gone. And it, it's sad. There was a great cry in Egypt. God had warned them. He said, this is, it was gonna happen. And exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. And, and it's so sad to think about about Pharaoh. You think about all these parents who walked into the room and their child was gone. Verse 33, and the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste for they said, we shall all be dead. They had seen these nine plagues happen and they were scared, but now they were terrified. They, they saw that God had just taken their firstborn and they said, he's gonna kill us next. Get them out of here. Pharaoh, send, send them away. We gotta get them out of here. And so these Israelites who were packed, who were ready, who had their staff in their hand, their belt on, their shoes on their feet, they're out, they're gone. Pharaoh sends them out. Verse 37, then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, the flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And so, I read somewhere that this was around the 2 million people, amount of 2 million people that were making this exodus from Egypt out of Egypt. And a mixed multitude means that it wasn't just the Israelites. 
There were other people that went with them. And if you read in Exodus, you can see how God tells these people to deal with, with these foreigners. But God leads his people out, just like he said he would. 430 years ago, he had promised, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you out of here. You're going to be delivered. 430 years later, it happened. These people had obeyed. They had trusted in God. They painted that lamb's blood on the doorpost. And God does what he said he did, was going to do. He gets them out of there. He leads these people out of slavery. So we look at these three points. Death is coming to everyone. Everyone's guilty, but there's a way out. And God provided that way out. And, and God said, you're gonna remember this sacrifice every year. You're gonna do this Passover meal every year, year after year after year, and generation after generation, you're gonna do it. And I think about that story, that story in Exodus, and it's a true story. And then I think about our lives. It's a true story of our lives as Christians. Death is coming to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. From the most privileged to the most poor, whether you're begging on the street, whether you're a king, whether you're the president, it doesn't matter who you are. Death is coming to you. The death rate is what it's always been, 100%. You're not escaping it. Everyone is going to die. Just like the firstborn was destined to die, was going to die, we're all gonna die. Everyone's guilty. Just like these Egyptians, just like these Israelites, we're all guilty. Guilt is what makes the, de the, de the dying part so scary. It's not the dying that's the problem. It's what am I gonna have to answer for next? What's, what's gonna happen to me after I die? The fact that I have to answer for how I've lived my life, that's what scares me. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the sting of death is sin. The dying part isn't the sting part, it's the sin. It's the sin that's over my body that, that, that torments me, that causes me to be guilty. That's what scares me. We have that sin that weighs us down. I don't know if you've read Hamlet much or had to read that in high school, um, but you know the, the phrase to be or not to be, that's where this came from. And what Hamlet's doing is he's, he's looking at his life and he's saying, to be or not to be, do I wanna live or do I wanna die? Do I wanna kill myself or do I wanna keep on living? To be or not to be. And he goes through this back and forth and ultimately he decides I have to live. I have to keep on living, why? Because the dread of something after death. It wasn't the dying that scared him. In Christianity, it's not the dying that scares us, it's the dread of what we have to answer for after we die. The sting of death is sin. We don't wanna be guilty. We don't wanna to have to pay for how we've lived our lives. Romans three, as it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that's a, that's a quote from Psalms chapter 14. Nobody's righteous. Everyone's guilty. You've all sinned. And without a sacrifice, you're guilty. There's no way out of it. You're guilty without something else. So death is coming to everyone. Everyone is guilty. There's a way out. Just like in Egypt, God provided a, a Passover lamb. God provided this way out. He said, you can use the blood of this lamb and I'll pass over you. God provides us a way out. 
back then in Egypt, he gave them this Passover. He, he used this lamb year after year after year. And they observed this. And we're gonna read about that here in a minute. Every year for 500 years, they do this. They eat of this Passover lamb. They eat this meal together and they remember what that meal meant. And then this prophet named Isaiah comes along. And Isaiah speaks of this man. And he says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. There's going to be a man and he's gonna be like that lamb. And that lamb, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. For your sin, he's going to die. He's pierced for our transgressions. He's wounded for our iniquities. He's gonna be the way out. That lamb, he's gonna be the way out. 800 years go by after Isaiah. They, they continually eat that Passover lamb. They participate in that meal year after year after year. And they remember back to Egypt and they know what it represents year after year for 800 years more. And then John the Baptist comes along and John the Baptist is out and he's baptizing people. And he's, he keeps baptizing people and he looks up and he, he sees Jesus. And John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That lamb that you've been eating year after year after year that Isaiah wrote about 800 years ago, that lamb who's going to come and he's gonna be your Passover lamb, he's here. There he is. The way out, Christ, is right there. And so Christ is sacrificed. He's hung on a cross. That Passover lamb is sacrificed. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. And just that, like that lamb back in Egypt saved those people, saved those households from their destruction, from, from the destroying of that firstborn child, Christ is our sacrifice. He's our Passover lamb. He was slaughtered for us. It, not a bone in his body, just like that lamb, not a bone was broken. He was prepared with hyssop. His blood was poured out on that cross and poured out from his body for us so that God would pass over us. And you, you think about those doorposts and they painted, they, they drained that lamb of its blood and they painted on the door, doorpost and on the lintel. Our Passover lamb gave his blood just like that lamb did on a cross. As his, as his hands were driven into with nails, his blood poured out from his body. As that crown of thorns was driven into his skull, our Passover lamb, that blood is what, what saves us, what allows God to pass over us and gives us freedom from sin. So we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, the sting of death is sin. And that's scary because we're guilty. And you think back to that night in Egypt, where it says there is a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Thinking about the Egyptians, these Egyptians who didn't believe, who didn't see what was going to happen, who didn't participate in that Passover. There was a great cry. It was sad. It was terrible. Nothing like it before. Nothing ever going to happen again like that. How terrible. And you think about our lives and on judgment day, what's it gonna be like? What's judgment day going to be like for you? Has Christ been a, the Passover lamb for you? 
Has his blood been painted on the doorpost for you in your life? If you don't have that Passover lamb covering your body, covering your soul, you're guilty. You're not going to be passed over. And I, I go on and I look at, so the sting of death is sin. The next verse says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God provided that Passover lamb for us. He provided you a way out. Death is coming to everyone. Everyone's guilty, but God provided that Passover lamb. This morning, we're gonna offer an invitation. And you can participate in that Passover lamb. You can have that Passover lamb cover you. Just like those Egyptians painted it on the doorpost and on the lintel and God, the destroyer, when it came through, saw that you were covered. You can let Christ's blood cover you so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Just like the Israelites were provided safety, we can be provided safety through baptism. This morning, we're gonna offer that invitation. We'd love to help you with that. You can begin your walk with Christ this morning as we stand and sing this invitation song.